I went on a Jack the Ripper tour. Of course the other you did. Uh, yeah. I, had you not told me, I would have expected it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, there was this little part of me that like two and a half years ago, offhandedly, it was like, oh, if I ever came to London, what would we do? And you were like, oh, we'd totally do a Jack the Ripper tour. Yeah, and so yeah, there was yeah, like this yeah. little part of me that was like, maybe I'll save it for Mark one of these days. We'll actually go on a Ripper tour. However, I'm a, I'm a little chagrined that you've that you've done it before me. Uh, and yeah, I, a good, I wouldn't a good friend have. of mine at work. Uh, and because, as you know, my the headquarters of my work, my whenever I'm in London, the place I work at is in Whitechapel. Uh, yeah. And one of my good colleagues and friends uh, and I have always promised ourselves that one day after work, we'll get beers and do a Jack the Ripper tour. We haven't done it yet. And now you've done it. And now, uh, yes, I've done it. You know. um, and you should do it. I was I would not have done this before or without you, except that. So, you know, I'm here, as we've discussed, because Keo is working Star Wars Celebration right now. Yeah. Um, and so every time we go to another country for his work, mm. there's like usually a wife or two who are here who are also <laughs> I see. wandering by themselves. I see. Show Widows. wives or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah AV yeah, wives. Yeah. Uh, look for the reality show. Um, but he likes to offer me as like, oh, you could my you could hang out with my wife if you wanted. Um, and so, you know, one of the fellas brought his wife along. Um, and also American? Also American, yeah, from right. Arizona. And Akio's like, well, my wife's not doing anything. And so we were kind of like back and forth texting, like, oh, yeah, maybe we can meet up and do various things. And then she texted me and was like, Zeke, her husband, um, isn't going to get out in time to go to this Jack the Ripper tour that we got tickets for. Would you be interested in going? I was like, yeah. Keo and Zeke. Keo and Zeke. Keo and Zeke's intergalactic diner. You know what I mean? They are on the fucking, you know, on the edge of Moss Eisley mm. or whatever. You got Keo and Zeke's. Fucking, I hate Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but you tried and that's what's important. No, they, I they did. deeply Star Wars, Star Wars is names. fucking awful. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Not to tangent too hard on here away from Jack the Ripper, but it is one thing that you become very aware of when you're at a Star Wars con is that yeah, Star yeah, Wars yeah. is the worst as are its fans. Oh, I fucking hate it so much. <laughs> um, I And obviously I'm, I like Mando and I like Boba Fett, mm-hmm. uh, but everything else, right? Everything else. I fucking hate Star Wars. I fucking hate people who like Star Wars <laughs> But yet hate it. Right. Like that's you know what what's I mean? so internet cunts. Is like, is there any other franchise on earth oh. that is so characterized by the people who love it hating it? Like I can't think of anything what else. What a lonely, like that. fucking strange existence that is. Yeah. It's it's just breeds fighty people, like people who are constantly fighting about yeah. shit and like are deeply negative about things. And as a fucking you know, as as a Doctor Who fan, I hate talking shit about other fandoms. What did I say not last week about how lifelong fandom is such a beautiful thing to me and I adore yeah. it, right? And I know I don't want it to feel as though I'm a hypocrite with what I'm saying about Star Wars fans being fucking scum. <laughs> um, but I think Star Wars fans are fucking scum. Well, and I think, like, you know, there is a, a difference in, say, like, the Doctor Who fandom where it's like, you know, you're always, it doesn't feel arbitrary when people hate 
Doctor Who. It feels like it's for very good reason, as mm. opposed to it being like, this ruins my childhood. This isn't Tom Baker. Like, you know, like, yeah, it, yeah, it yeah, feels yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. people don't want any change to yeah. uh, Star Wars and are mad every single time something comes out that it isn't the ones that they loved from the 70s. Oh, and Andor. Like I was going to say, I thought you liked Andor. Um, yeah, Andor was fantastic. Yeah. But when I when I when I say I hate Star Wars and I hate the people who like Star Wars, I'm talking about those fucking that shit series of films that is good for like forty minutes. <laughs> yes. Sorry, Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper, uh, who I am fairly certain has never seen Star Wars, went on a Jack the Ripper tour. But you can't be sure. You don't know who he was, That's so you true. can't be and sure. You might have. Didn't we just watch a movie in which he time traveled? So I'm we not did. ruling anything out. Just to be clear. Uh, but went on this Jack the Ripper tour with this girl I don't know, uh, which can also... What was her name again? Her name is Renee. Um, and, and this can always like be also like a little bit of a crapshoot because a lot of people that Kia works with like are like deeply like QAnon-y conservative. So, you oh, know, when shit, you're like, really? yeah, there's like a whole contingent of like dudes from Texas who are just like the worst okay. and often are like this close to getting themselves kicked off shows because they can't stop like mocking trans people over the intercom or things like that like you know <clears throat> so you're like never entirely sure but she's really cool and nice we went to dinner first and all that stuff Good. and went on this tour but so she asks me beforehand like as we're waiting um like do you know much about jack the ripper uh, and this is one of those like moments where you realize, like, <laughs> like my I said no, right? I was like, no, not really. Yeah. And then went on to like list like several things about Jack the yes. Ripper and things like that. Where the look on her you've face, got a, you've got an opportunity there. Do I do I play my hand? Or it not? wasn't do even I... like that though. It was like in my head, I thought no, because like Jack the Ripper is not a thing I've fixated on per se, right? Like, right. I haven't dedicated. I've never read a book. On Jack the Ripper, I may have gone through yeah, some okay, like okay, internet okay. spirals and things like that of Jack the Ripper. So to me, I'm like, oh no, I don't know much. I know exactly how many victims there were, and like you know uh, all the methodology and theories about it and all this kind of stuff. And as I was saying it, I could see that the look on her face was kind of like, feels like you do know a mm. lot about Jack the Ripper. And that was a moment of recognition of um, like my dark meter. <laughs> Being yes. like, when I say I don't know about something, I'm not a normal person. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not yeah, a normie. Yeah, yeah. When they say they don't know about <laughs> Jack the Ripper, they mean I kind of know it was a murderer. Yeah. And that's about it. So, yeah. you know. But your your baseline of not knowing anything is, is uh, well, I know, you know, locations and right. areas and numbers of victims and how he killed the victims. And, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly is a weird bar your i don't know much is still enough for like a, a documentary right a small yeah a short broad documentary, documentary yeah without much detail an article at yes least. exactly um so we set out on this thing and i kind of so last week when i was talking about the both ghost tour um mm. i was saying that like well done <laughs> i i will say also people have uh Multiple people have come out and said, like, it's actually bath. It's not both. So. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but let, them, let come. them come. They, they can come <laughs> at you. Listen, Mark just said. Let them come. You can, you can come at him about it. Um, let them come. 
so I had said that the thing about that was like the whole thing was bullshit, right? Like it was fun and everything, but mm. just bullshit. None of that was like true or anything like that. This lady won me over very quickly Good. on the tour by talking about, um, so she's talking about like drug use in Whitechapel in the 1880s and all that kind of stuff. And basically how like horrendous that whole area was at the time. And so she's talking about like alcohol abuse and like, you know, opium and all those kind of usual stuff. Opium and shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she says, you know, um, and people, believe it or not, were using arsenic as a drug. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which like immediately I'm like, what? And she's like, now, I did not buy that when I heard that. So then I looked into it and I was like, oh, lady, I yeah. love you right now. That she heard a fact that was like, that sounds made up. And she yeah. looked into it and it was good, true. Good, it good, was good, absolutely good. true. Good. She was talking about basically people microdosing arsenic more or less at the time. And, you know, she actually researched it. So from like very early in the tour, I was like, would that um, give you an acquired immunity? I, I don't think so. What she said about it, the description of it that she gave was basically that it was like you you would take it in these small amounts and it would give you this yep. sort of like out of body feeling, like sort of floating out of yourself, oh. almost like a psychedelic, uh -huh. but obviously not Go like on. a psychedelic. <laughs> um, and yeah, from <laughs> nothing that she said made it sound like you could dose and dose and dose until you could just take arsenic it seems like no matter what you would die if you took too much of it she out the gate i was like this is a person who hears a thing and if it doesn't sound right looks it up that's the thing that i super appreciate she's been obsessed with jack the ripper since she was like nine and i would say she's probably in like her 50s or so nice, um nice. and lifelong fandom <laughs> lifelong fandom what a beautiful thing but also <laughs> one of the things that i was concerned about because i have read stuff about this is people saying that these tours can be like super exploitative because yeah, you yeah. know people want like ooh spooky scary like oh serial killer titillating stuff and it she was much more respectful than i expected her to be about this and it was Good. like None yep. of that kind of sleazy, sensationalist stuff, but really kind of focusing on, like, these women who were murdered and then, like, the structures that were in place that made it so that, like, you know, this was happening, like, all the horrific things good, about good, why good. it was hard to be a woman at this time. Um, and, like, there's, like, a pub um, that it's called the Ten Bells. Um, you've probably passed it since you work in that area. Um, and that's been there, you know, since that time. It was called the Ten Bells then. It's called the Ten Bells now. For a brief period in the 80s, they tried to change it into, like, they wanted to call it Jack the Ripper. Um, they, and they, like, briefly <laughs> did. What? And it was, like, soup. There was, like, strippers in it, which Jack the Stripper seems like a lost uh, opportunity there. But, you know, mm. just like this just totally trashy joint that they wanted to make out mm. of it. And she was like, you know, yeah, it happened a long time ago, but it's still a tragedy. Like, imagine if someone tried to open up a shop and call it the Yorkshire Ripper. Like, yeah. you know, like, we understand that would be, like, in really poor taste, you know. That's tasteless. <laughs> that is tasteless. Uh, and yeah. just because this happened in 1888 doesn't mean that like it's less tragic than what happened to yes. the people in the 1970s yeah. right um yeah. so i was really impressed by the fact that this tour was just like much more respectful 
than I was expecting it to be. She really knew her shit. She was funny, but none of her jokes were like at the expense of the women. Um, it just really was. Sounds like she did a fantastic yeah, she job. She was just passionate. She knew her shit. She, there wasn't, <laughs> I was really worried this was going to be like ghost Tory. And of course, a couple of like, you know, doofus women from New York were like, oh, are there ghost <laughs> stories on this? And so she like, told, she was like, I don't have any ghost stories. A couple of other people say they heard things here or whatever, you know, and she kind of moved on from that. Uh, that's the Margaret Thatcher tour. The Margaret Thatcher tour? Ghost Tory. Ugh. Ghost Tory because she's a dead Tory. You were really relying on Sorry. me remembering the words that I had just used for that. <laughs> yeah. But but um, it's a good one. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it ended up being uh, a much better tour than I was expecting. And kind of... Oh, go ahead. As a... As a Ripper scholar, then. Yes, obviously. The documentarian of the What was... uh, Obviously, it begs the question from me, what were her thoughts on identity? Yeah, she didn't necessarily give, like... She gave who she didn't think more than she really theorized who it was. Um, Yeah. She was like... She basically said, she was like, I could do a 13-hour tour that's just suspects, you know, and go through all of those things. And I obviously don't have time for that. Um, So she gave us Mm. who some of the main suspects were, which one of these I thought was really funny, too. It was, um, so Prince Albert Victor. Yep. And people suspected him because he was, like, pretty promiscuous and was known, basically, they didn't call it that, but was bisexual um, frequented, yep. you know, sex workers of both genders and um, had syphilis and obviously... Yeah, is, is, is he the suspect who had like a weird hole in his dick? I don't know. There was one child on this tour, so I think if that were a thing that happened, yeah. she would have left that detail out. A, the only <laughs> Ripper book I've ever read um, leaned quite heavily on a suspect... Um, uh, who had, uh, like, uh, again, it, it might have been the, the same guy sure. you're talking about, but had a, a developed a fixation with sex workers at the time uh, due to his own kind of repressed feelings of inadequacy of having, like, a fistula in his penis. That could have, I mean, that's quite possible because one of the things about this was that, A, like, syphilis kind of drives you mad or whatever, and yeah, yeah, that yeah, 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 it yeah, was, yeah. like, uh, possibly a revenge thing, you know, that mm. um, he was upset with having syphilis, um, and took it out on the sex workers or whatever, trying yeah. to, you know, murder them to get back at them for giving it to him or whatever. So it could very well yeah. be the same thing. He had alibis for, like, every date of those things. It absolutely was not him. What I thought was interesting about that story, though, was, like, like we know a lot about the royals. And, of course, Prince Harry has told us quite a bit about mm-hmm. his own penis in um, his mm-hmm. book. But did <laughs> everyone <coughs> knew Prince... Albert Victor had syphilis? Was this just like common knowledge at the time? Because, hmm. yeah, that just seems wild to me that everyone was like, it was probably him. He's got the sif. The, the, the idea of like nobility or, or royalty being a fucking heinous murderer mm-hmm. is very interesting to me. Oh, yeah. Fascinating to me. Absolutely. You know what I mean? You couldn't. I mean, imagine that. Twenty twenty three. Imagine one of the lesser royals, right, 
crawling about the place. Yeah. You know, using the fucking the institution and using their power and their influence to keep things quiet and just stabbing up right. women. That's exactly. crazy, crazy, crazy story. And one of the interesting things on that note, what she did say afterwards. So it was actually kind of cute. The kid who was on the tour is probably. When you say kid. I was about to say he's probably like Owen's age, I would say. Oh. May, may, yeah, yeah, I would say probably Owen's age. Um, so he was somewhere between your children's age, I would say. Um, yeah, okay, okay, okay. He came up afterwards and he was like, um, you know, is it possible that it was a woman? Uh, he's like making his own little theories and stuff like that, which is really cute. And so she explained why nice. she, it's unlikely that it was a woman just based on the way that these physical strength, exactly like just the brute mm-hmm. strength required for this stuff. A woman in the slums in 1888 would not likely have been able to do this. Um, you know, and so he's sort of sharing his theories and all that stuff. But what she did say, um, was that probably it was more likely someone who else who was poor because like mm. we've now got this image of Jack the Ripper and like the top hat and the uh, of course and and the, the coat yeah the cloak with his um, black medical bag yeah right yeah. which like she's <laughs> right if that were a thing that would have been so noticeable <laughs> like everyone would yes. have been like we live in the slums why is this guy wandering about why do we see him every time there's a murder here like more yeah. likely it was someone who absolutely blended in with everybody else um and another fact of that this was a thing that i did not realize um and oh this always frustrates me with the story that multiple times he pretty much almost got caught um yeah yeah yeah. and so one of those cases was like basically in a courtyard type situation um where like a guy rode his like he was, you know, parking his horse or whatever. Um, and <laughs> whatever you do with horses. That's what you do. You park your horse at the end, end of the night. <laughs> yeah. And the horse stopped and there was like the body, um, you know, and they, he went like ran inside thinking there was like a drunk woman passed out um, to get a candle. And so he and his wife yeah. came back out um, and they found this mutilated woman now, this is like an enclosed courtyard, right? Um, when the cops came, like immediately, they found that like her hands were cold, but like her torso was still warm. Meaning what had mm. likely happened is when he rode up in there, he interrupted the mm. murder. Um, and it like it is very likely that if rather than running to go get a candle, he had just looked, the guy was still there. Um, and when he went away, it gave him the opportunity to slink out of the courtyard, Like it. which then he went Uh, uh, and murdered this other woman, same night. Uh, the only time two of them were in the same night and three guys walked up on it as it was happening, but thought like it was just, you know, two people hooking up or whatever. Um, and then like one of the guys noticed, like, you know, the guy was trying not to be seen. It was like covering his face or whatever. Um, and they moved on and within 10 minutes or it was like 10 to 12 minutes, she had been ripped to shreds and the cops were there. Um, they realized like they'd just missed him again and the guy couldn't describe him. He was like, on, I, I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. <laughs> like he was covering his face, wow. whatever. So we had to blend in pretty well, but twice in the same night. Well, I mean, died. aside from, aside from, uh, the, you know, no one knowing the identity, aside from the brutality of the murders, 
what really puts the Ripper murders over the top is the letters right. and mm-hmm. the, the the sending of the body yeah, parts, the, the sending of the liver. Yeah, exactly. Seeing the eighth uh, part of it, but here's the other half. Like Exactly, exactly. Written letters in blood, you know what I mean? Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. Incredible stuff. And also, so that like letter was lost um, that he mm. sent the piece of liver with. Um, and also, like, he had taken some, like, souvenirs, like, a bladder from someone and things like that, that it's like, obviously, you don't eat that. And so I have this, like, thought that it's like, these things probably either were found whenever this person, like, maybe he was arrested for something else. Maybe he died. (laughs) Like, you know, probably someone was like, ew, what are these? And threw them away. (laughs) Um, And then, like, the letter went missing, probably stolen, you know, realistically. But someone probably had it in their attic or still has it in their attic somewhere and has wow. no idea what they have, you know, <laughs> like mm. just this like some family member stole it from the precinct a hundred years ago <laughs> and it's just been sitting somewhere and it looks like a kid wrote it or whatever with all the misspellings and everything. And so they either mm. threw it away, not knowing what it was, or just are sitting on it somewhere and it's going to turn up someday with dna on it you know (laughs) like talk about a cold case fucking hell yeah that well that's one of the reasons also that i've never like really gotten into jack the ripper is i don't love a cold Mm. case i deeply want to know so you know it bothers me that like barring some really crazy breakthrough there's a zero percent chance we will ever know who that was i am not holding my breath no, I, I would absolutely not recommend you do. Let me quote directly from my notes, if I may. Yes, please do. Fucking look at these nerds. Oh, mise-en-scene. I don't think anyone has ever said mise-en-scene in such a horny way before. The way I whispered the word sex cannibal recently. Worst comes to worst, Mark. I'm willing to guillotine you for science. Thank you. That's really, really sweet. It's cold so... outside, but my pancreas is talking to me. I'm fucking, <laughs> I'm gonna leg it. You know how I feel about that, Mark. I think you feel great about it. Welcome, 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 friends, to another Jack of All Graves. Another Jack of All Graves in the same same time zone, in the Mm -hmm. same fucking landmass, same climate, like I've said. But it's this week, Jack of All Graves, with some great news. I've got some fantastic news for our listeners. You do? I've got some fantastic news for you. Oh, I'm really excited about this. I genuinely have no idea. I've got... I've got some fantastic news for everyone, if you didn't already know. Mm-mm. Corey. Mark. He is risen. <laughs> he is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. On this day, he is risen. And today, you know, I occasionally like to dedicate our casts uh, to people, to groups of people, to individuals. Today, this one is for you, the little baby Jesus. <laughs> this is this week... It's not a podcast, Corrigan. No, it's a godcast. This one Ooh, week only. I like the ring just of that. Just this week. Just this week. Bathe yourself in his light. Mm. And know that he has died. And although it seems implausible, and I will warrant it does push credulity just a little. A touch. A little bit. I actually literally asked the boys this earlier on. So, lads. Uh, today, you know what Easter's all about. Uh, a lot of people say it's when Jesus died and came back to life. Okay, what did they Does say? Does that seem... I, I, well, I asked them, does that seem likely to you? 
No dad. There we go. <laughs> that was it. But um, amazing. That said, uh, congrats. If it hey hey, who's to say? Who's to say? Who's to say? I don't know. We talk about strange shit on this podcast mm-hmm. every week, week in, week out, year after year. Who's to fucking say? You got to spare just so a little, week, a little bit of credulity. Ninety nine point nine percent. I mean. Even if it's statistics, statistically it's unlikely. Mm. But hey, what are rules for, Corey? That'd be broken. So for this week and this week only, my mind is wide open. My heart is wide open, as I hope is yours. For I say again, Alleluia, he is risen. (laughs) That just made me think of, okay, I have like a few thoughts on this. (laughs) I bet you do. Can I, before you do, can I ask Mm. if you were still all loved up with the magic of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. What would you normally be doing today as one of those people? Usually just church and uh, yeah, and like probably a big meal afterwards. Because it's a big one, isn't it, Easter? It's a big one. Yeah, and that's one of my thoughts. So <laughs> when I was a kid, like obviously Easter is like, you, like, you can tell because British people make a huge deal out of it. Um, they do. Like, it's a very secular holiday um, mm. that most people, like, celebrate without any sense of, like, it being a Jesus thing Two at all. bank holidays, mate. Two, Two bank, bank holidays, holidays like, for Jesus. That's wild to me. Friday off and Monday off. Um, and Love that. so when I was growing up, like, before I started going to church, I genuinely did not know there was a religious reason for the holiday. Is that right? Yeah, not not one single inkling that that was the case. And I remember the first Easter that I was in church being blown away. (laughs) I was like, I'm sorry, what is this story? Well, fucking hell. I had no idea that that was what this was about. Fascinating. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, you saying that to your children and basically knowing the idea. I'm like, there's a step ahead of where I was at that point where I was like, it's a holiday mm. in which my parents hide eggs and put a, a basket of candy on the front porch. Hmm. Thought that was the well, entirety of it. Uh-huh. Uh, but but it, w- it would normally, uh, for for you in the community, yeah, just a, it would involve a nice kind of long old spell at church. Yeah. Bit of singing. I mean, there's always singing at church. Did you ever do the thing where you would kind of pretend to convulse and speak weirdly? No, um, I didn't. But I'm from a denomination where technically, like, you're supposed to. Um, it's, <laughs> I love that shit. Yeah. The assemblies, I really enjoy that. The Assemblies of God, the evidence of having the Spirit indwelling in you is speaking in yeah. tongues. Um, and I never did that. Um, and it's like, it's one of those things where like, there's like jokes about it. So where it's like, oh, you have to do it. So, you know, you got to put on the performance. So you Mm. say things like, barahanda, shoulda barahandai, things like that. That's, uh, um, sounds like you're speaking in tongues, but you're really just talking about automobiles. Um, and, uh, yeah, but also the singing note made me think of, um, (laughs) Uh, there was, I went to this mega church with my, my friend Carrie grew up in a mega church called Saddleback. The one that Rick Warren was the pastor of who wrote the purpose driven life. Righteous gemstones type shit. Yeah, exactly that. Um, and I just remember going to the Easter service and they had this 
um, worship leader, Rick something, not Rick Warren, Rick something else. A lot of white men named Rick in the <laughs> church. Yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, and he sang this song that like, I just thought the lyrics were so funny that I immediately like burst into laughter tears in the church because it was like they they crucified him, he arose, then they couldn't find him, he arose. <laughs> they crucified him. Oh Jesus! Very good, like, crucified. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus peekaboo. And ever sure we left him right? Yeah, here. I could have sworn we put him here. They couldn't find him, he arose. Um, so yeah, that Easter always reminds me of, uh, and also today I was watching, um, the Netflix show Beef, and they have this, like, storyline in it of Stephen Ewan getting involved in this, um, Asian non-denominational church in Orange County, uh, which is... Can you just give me the vague premise of Beef? Because plenty of people have recommended it to me. (laughs) It's A24, so there's that. Um, Ooh, say no more. Say <laughs> no, the, okay, the basic premise of Beef is that um, in the first episode, Ali Wong and uh, Stephen Ewan have like what should be a minor road rage incident that turns into something much bigger. Um, yeah. And that basically causes both of their lives to go into a downward spiral over the course of years, essentially, or okay. over a year at least. Fine. So, um, so yeah, it's a super stressful show. Just FYI, I was not expect. I thought it was going to be like God. funny. Uh, it's like yeah. deeply, deeply stressful. Uh, so think more A twenty four than you're probably thinking. Um, Wonderful. But the church scenes in it are like spot on. Um, mm. Like, and not in so like righteous gemstones. I'm like, oh, they're so spot on. But like in a parody way. Where it's like really yeah. getting all the like silliness of those churches. Yeah. This is not played that way. These are like just him going into church services at this Asian non-denominational church. And they are spot on. And I found myself like in, he sings this song by a super um, like really like popular worship leader, uh, an Australian guy. And I was like singing along with it and I was like, oh, fuck me. Like, it's so ingrained <laughs> that I I can't help it. I'm like singing along with this song and it gets just an evangelical non-denominational church service. Absolutely. I think perfect. it would make a, it would make a fantastic arc for you in Jack of All Grace <laughs> if you kind of went back. But yeah. Went full circle. At the end. Full circle. I think we, 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 we've talked it through on many occasions. Da, 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 da. And I think... I think you're gonna come back. I think that's your character arc. I think there's. I think that. I think that's where you're headed. No, I think the arc is you do. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I think Maybe. that's been the arc all along. I I'm lost and gone I'm, forever, I'm but somehow you become the Christian. I'm the one with the fucking void. I'm the one who's yearning for meaning, and you know. Can you imagine how insufferable you would be if you were an evangelical? Oh man, I think I would rise quite through the ranks. I think I would. You would. You would be. That like cool the, the pastor story I could tell. My God, right. I was in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. I, I, temptations of given to drinking and drug taking. Yep, you know exactly. what I mean. Exactly. You have a testimony, uh, my friend. Yeah, horror films, satanic, demonic horror films. Yeah, that I would obsessively watch and talk about week in and week out on this 
this demonic hellbound podcast that I was, <laughs> that I was preaching my corruption. Mm-hmm. But I, you know what happened? He is risen. He is risen in me. <laughs> mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> disturbing. Oh, yeah. Very disturbing, Mark. I, I think I could make you believe it. I think I could make you buy it. Well, yeah, <laughs> probably. And I would be very disturbed. <laughs> Please don't April Fool's me like that or anything. <laughs> it's bad enough that you keep tricking me into thinking that your mic is off. <laughs> I can't handle you becoming a Christian. I'm never going to be tired of that. <laughs> just, just listeners, just what I do, right? <laughs> and I, I don't make a habit of it. I'll never do it two weeks in a row. But I kind of do the moving my pretending to talk thing and Corey's like what what I can't hear you what oh my god this again and I'm like and I'm still <laughs> pretending to talk and then I go ah ha ha and she you know she loves me <laughs> and you're too far away to hit so you continue to do it <laughs> uh Starship Troopers is on the telly by the way oh Fuck nice that's a fun one so good always a good choice so good so, sorry if I'm lifting my eyes up every so often. It's because I I'm watching Michael Ironside be awesome. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, Jesus out there doing his thing. Big ups. Mad props. What yep. else? Yep. Uh, let's see. Um, I've, ju- I've been on holiday this week. That's been, been a lot of fun. I had some wonderful time with the kids and with my darling wife and with my darling, dear, old, silver-haired Slowing down in ye- in her years Jesus. and in her dotage. In the, it sounds like you're talking the, about a dog. It doesn't feel like this is aiming where it's going. In the late autumn, I would say, of, of her days. Jesus Christ. Uh, my mother, who, you know, doesn't get to see my kids very often, so it was lovely to get a week uh, where they could just enjoy one another, mm, you know. Indeed. And bond again. And, and it was, yeah, it was, it was... Just a really super fun week. I love that. Um, now you've been proper like Britaining again, haven't you? I you've have, been yeah. Getting right amongst it. Exactly. Not just Jack the Ripper tours, all kinds of things. What I've oh li- sorry, I'm on the tour. Talk to me about the hecklers, please. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So last week I, you know, said that when we were on that ghost tour, people were heckling the ghost tour. Now I'm coming to the conclusion that this is simply <laughs> British tradition because the whole tour. People were walking by and yelling things. One guy was like, London is sex, drugs, and rock and roll as he walked by. And we're like, okay. And like, then a group of like drunk dudes passed by and one of them was singing, uh, you've got school in the morning to the tune of Guantanamera, uh, which was delightful. Last time I was out drinking in London, honestly, I I know that, you know, the papers say it, the tabloids say it all the time, but Fucking hell, cocaine is everywhere, right? Interesting. Like, literally, I was, I walked past uh, two separate groups of people outside, outdoors, walking between pubs, just pouring a little bag uh, into their, into their fists and just the doing fucking I everywhere. hand bumps. There's yes, those little, little silver yeah, canisters. Little canisters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every fucking place. way. Yeah. Um, there be drugs. Yeah, in parks and fields, here be drugs, yes. Yeah. But hey, the Tories are gonna uh, uh, are banning the kind of casual sale of uh, nitrous oxide, which oh, is... and I'm sure that's going to fix it. That's it. I mean, what? 
that feels that's it that's pretty robust end. that feels pretty well thought out yep no more no more drugs on the street sorry revelers um yeah so that happened people were just like constantly heckling the tour which i just thought mm. was hilarious <laughs> i'm like i guess that's just what they do people see huge groups of tourists walking yes. along and they start shouting at least it seemed them. like quite benign yeah, heckling. Like it, it could have been yeah, nothing was mean-spirited you know, it wasn't like people were yeah. being like get out of our city or like saying anything vulgar or anything like that no vulgar songs uh, it, just you've got school in the morning yeah it's it's an equation i mean when you put like more than three lads mm. together mm-hmm. uh, add a bank holiday yeah things get add boisterous. in add in you know some of the, the drinks yep. And inevitably, there will be a chant at some point. Which I appreciate. And if they're in a pub and someone drops a glass, Mm. they'll go, hey, it's as sure as eggs is eggs. That (laughs) is how it works. Uh, Who was I with? I was with either. It must have been when I was. mm, I was with Sam, I think. And we were somewhere and multiple glasses were dropped and broken. Uh, yeah, oh no! Yeah, it was yeah, when I was yeah, with yeah. my friends uh, Katie and John, but it was like kind of like a classy joint, so mostly people oh. just kind of went <gasps> instead. Um, yeah, kind of a waste. Right now, uh, I'm gonna defend my position here. Right? Okay. I'm gonna plant my fucking flag because when a, when one of the bar staff drops a glass, mm-hmm. it's almost an instinct in me. It's almost a reflex action. Uh, and often before I've checked my company and before I've checked <laughs> who I'm with. I will, like you tapped a hammer on my knee. Right. Hey, I will. Whoa. <laughs> right. And to those who find it obnoxious, I, I apologize. But to me, it's almost it's like a, a solidarity. Of... Thank you. Yeah. It's almost like pricking the balloon of tension that that, that right. you know, staff member no doubt feels. <laughs> yeah. Just in that kind of that drawn out vowel sound. Hey. <laughs> what I'm saying is. It's fine. It's right. cool. It's a pub. We're all fucking lads here. Yeah. Just, you know, mop it up and fucking sweep it up and we go again. I totally get that. I think that is completely It isn't. Fair. Uh, way, you fucking glass dropping <laughs> dickhead. That isn't what I'm saying. <laughs> Which is more what the gasp ends up, you know, when it's just like, <gasps> uh, then it's yeah. like, oh my yeah, God. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Clutching my pearls, passing the smell insults around. Right. Really? Is this your first day? <laughs> exactly. So I would take yeah. the way over the gasp Good. any day of the week. Good. Um, but that's to say, too, that I had a wonderful time hanging out with some of the Joag fam this week as well. Good. Um, I love that. Paul and I went to The Clink, the prison restaurant. <laughs> I was going to ask, did you get, to, and how was it? It was wonderful. It was very weird because the, the um, you know, it's an actual prison and the people are current mm. inmates who Which are... Which prison is it? Uh, Brixton Prison. Okay. Wow. <laughs> um, and uh, so, like, the security to get in there is intense. And when you go in, like, you can't even have a Fitbit because a Fitbit connects to a phone. And my Fitbit is my watch. So we go in there and we were like, it's like a time warp. Like we were like, I don't know if I've been in here for an hour or three hours or mm. what. Because I have no phone. I have no watch. <laughs> like none of so that no stuff. No photos. No photos, which was unfortunate too because the food was incredibly pretty. Um, absolutely beautiful. Delicious food. Um, great conversation. And then we just kind of walked around Brixton, went to... A Weatherspoons, of course, um, and then went to like a, a different pub after that. How did you find Paul? Oh, Paul is wonderful. Just 
a delight to talk to. Yeah. And then I got to hang out with Sam the next day, walked around uh, uh, with him um, and saw lots of things just kind of casually wandering, saw the Barbican, which I'd never seen before. Mm. Um, you know, brutalist architecture isn't really my thing, but it was a cool spot nonetheless. And yeah, 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 lots yeah, of yeah. people just hanging out, enjoying the sun. This is one of my favorite Britishisms is just the way people just like the second there is one tiny sliver of sun, everyone's like, oh my God. jackets off, like let me... Tan my pasty little body. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All this stuff. So it was nice to see like just people out sitting. Um, And mostly over the course of the past week and a half, I've just been like walking through parks and looking at pretty things and birds. Right. It's been great. I would struggle to think of a single, a single possible activity, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Which... Sam couldn't turn into something lovely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Just the most engaging, affable, easy to talk to, interesting, fucking, what's the word? Erudite motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was it was wonderful. And, you know, I found some amazing places and drawn some birds and just had cool. a lovely time. Nice. I'd love to hear that. I And... Uh, how how uh, is your affection for the UK growing or diminishing the more you spend here or have you plateaued that's a good question um i think i find more i think it seems less foreign um yeah. and so what i find is places that I love that are new and places that I'm more indifferent to and things like that, just kind of like being anywhere in the U S or whatever. So like, I really loved walking around Brixton and I really loved Whitechapel. I think Whitechapel rules, (laughs) Um, you know, stuff like that. And then there's other parts that are like, kind of like, uh, whatever about, but Mm. it feels like now I feel less, you know, like my sister was like shocked the other day because she had texted me. And I didn't get back to her for like eight hours. And I was like, oh, sorry, I didn't I didn't bring like your Wi-Fi thing that you lent to me. Um, Does it work? Is it working? Yeah, it, it? Work, it works great. Oh. Yeah. Um, but I didn't bring it with me uh, into the city. And so I was like, sorry, I, I couldn't get back to you. I was walking around. I didn't have the Wi-Fi. And she was like, you were just out with like no connection to the world. And I was like, yeah, I've like, I've now figured out how to use the tube and figure out where I'm getting without having to like map it all the time and stuff like that. Like, you know, I can, I can figure my shit out now. So I don't necessarily need to be attached to, you know, the phone all the time. So yeah, it just, I think it's like my affection for certain parts of it have grown more. And I kind of know what I like and what I'm like, I don't really need to do that. Well, there's yet much more to mm-hmm. come, you know, because you and I are soon to hit the yes, road. And see more things that I haven't seen yet. Yes, yes, yes. You and I are soon to fucking take this little dynamic of ours out on the road, out into the great fucking, you know, United Kingdom. Yes, and I'm so excited to tell some stories, see some new things, all of that kind of stuff. It's just going to... I'm stoked on it, you know. I'm ex- I'm excited to adventure with you and for you to show me some places that I've never seen before and probably some you haven't seen before. Um, and it'll be uh, fun. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Together we shall pick at the scab, the crust of, of, of Britain and expose the 
I don't. Can looking we stop this sentence? Tender, I don't. <laughs> weeping flesh beneath. Uh, weeping Sorry. flesh. Should we not do that? <laughs> I would like to not have like a ton of weeping flesh on this. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. Okay. <laughs> That's your you can... flesh gently weeps. Mine's gonna stay in there. my flesh gently weeps. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Thank you. Um, you've watched some things this week, Mark. Right, a bunch of things actually, and it feels good to have done that. Oh, finally! It's it's yeah, good to have had some space to actually sit down and watch some stuff. Uh, so uh, gave Luther another go, and I'm yes. so fucking glad I so did. You fell asleep I the owed, first time. I did. I, I you owed and it Laura to fell Luther asleep to have another go. Yeah, we did. <laughs> um, but I I I owe it to Luther to have another go mm-hmm. because I'm a fucking huge fan of the show, huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I I would be doing the the property and the character and the world of Luther a disservice if I didn't go back and have another go and I'm really fucking glad I did because yeah. as as disconnected as Luther the show is from reality Luther the movie yeah. is another Completely fucking level of ridiculous <laughs> what a fucking ridiculous film where ridiculous things yes. happen you know in a in a in a world that you think you know in a London that I in I'm sure I've said this before, right? But I get a massive cinematic twitch on from seeing places I've been. Yeah, yeah, totally. In movies, right? Oh, it's the greatest. And there's so many locations in Luther that I've been. Like, <laughs> ah, is that bit? But at the same time, it's a world that I w- that none of us have never been mm-hmm. to, and none of us ever will, because <laughs> it's fucking stupid as fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super dark. It's relentlessly grim, yep. and it's perverse, and it's dangerous and it's seedy yeah. and it's violent and it's 100% Luther as fuck but this film is so stupid oh yeah absolutely it is a and I say it's, big it's a, it's dumb th- it's movie four stars worth yes. of stupid <laughs> but it's stupid nonetheless and am I remembering this wrong or have I like put two films together in my head because for the last third of the film, they're in Norway. And how the fuck did that happen? I had the same thought. I genuinely was like, I think I missed how something. The... How did they get no, here? you didn't. <laughs> I, 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 mean, I, I didn't. I wasn't even on my phone. Right, I, my phone me neither. fucking table across the room. Uh... And I was dialed in. I was watching the film. Going, ah, this is so fucking stupid. I love it. But in the space of like three minutes and with no connective kind of plot tissue at all or... You know, the most flimsy. They just ended up in snow-covered Norway. Yep. Um, which they drove there. In, you know, just like how, you know, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, walks to the fucking coast-to-coast <laughs> of Britain. This geezer, Luther and his, and his mate, just drive to Norway in five minutes. Yeah. Um, I was wonderful. confused and wonderful. I did not care. It was... <laughs> exactly. That sums it right up. And it ends on a mwah, lovely little cliffhanger. Yeah. And I hope to fuck that Netflix shows Luther the love that the BBC seem not to want to show it. Right. Because I could, I could, this is the, this is the anti-Bond. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Luther is nega Bond. Uh, you know, no license to kill, but, you know, he's got a license to punch. Right. Uh, and I, I will watch those for as long as Idris and Neil Cross want to make them because I fucking love that one. And thankfully, they seem to want to make them forever. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we will be getting this. We're going. Imagine how insane like eighty year old Luther is going to be eventually. Oh, <laughs> you know? wonderful! Like oh, I it's can imagine you'd have like imagine maybe with like an eye patch. <laughs> right. Yeah. Totally. You know what I mean? Or like one one hand <laughs> uh, still in that fucking coat. Right. Um. And you know, hey, does. Does it get recast every fucking decade oh, or so? Oh, yeah, there you go. I, no, but I don't you think I mean? so, though, because... No? The reason we keep getting it is simply because of Idris. <laughs> it's because yeah, that's, that's, he that's very loves it so much. And he, like, yeah. somehow we're going to get, like, cyborg, um, what's-her-face, um, Alice or something like that, like, some way <laughs> later on, Cyber- like, they're just going <laughs> to keep Alice bringing is- her back. Alice uploads her intelligence right. into a supercomputer exactly. like a-l-i-c-e yes <laughs> and luther with his son who is revealed in like luther six uh, luther and his son team up to take down cyber alice right. in london of the 2070s fucking are you listening netflix shut up and take my three thousand dollar subscription money that it's going to cost at that point in the future i'm in fifty thousand bitcoin yeah. per month Right. I'll keep yeah, watching it. Here for it. I'm glad that you finished it and enjoyed it because, yeah, it was. I oh, was, was a little a, sad a, when you didn't the first time. It was a blast. Good. I fucking love it, man. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Have you seen anything? Colin? I have. Um, like I said, I watched Beef. Obviously, I already gave. You've gone quiet. The <laughs> fucking. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Siri is very intrusive lately. Oh, Siri. That bitch. Yeah. Sorry. So. I'll click my fingers. We'll pause. Have you seen anything, Corrigan? I have. Um, as I was talking about earlier, obviously I watched Beef mostly. So I watched eight episodes of Beef today. Today is my off day of doing anything. That's a lot of beef. It was a ah, lot eight? of beef. Yes. Did you say eight, eight episodes of beef? Episodes of beef. That's Specifically me. because my friend Cynthia is in episode eight. And I really wanted to get to where I would see Cynthia. Yeah. Um, you know, when your friends live on the other side of the country and you miss them, yeah. you just have yeah. to, you do what you can. So I specifically yeah. was like, I am going to watch eight episodes of this so I can see Cynthia's episode of this show. And it's like just brief, you know, but it was a very meaningful role to her um, because mm. she gets to speak Vietnamese in it. And, you right. know, being a Asian American actress and, you know, until recently there was really like it was so hard to get roles in general let alone one where you get to speak you know the language that your parents spoke and stuff like that and so her mother had taught her Vietnamese to read um Vietnamese growing up and getting to speak this was really cool for her um so yeah I was excited to just see this you know short part that she has in this movie I mean in this show and uh yeah I feel like I don't know if enjoying it is the right word for the show because it is deeply stressful, Um, Mm. but it's very good. So I recommend it. Um, And I also went to the movies last week um, and saw Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. Yeah. Which was just a a fun time. I I have every intention of seeing it. I'm in no rush to get it in the cinema, but I have every intention of seeing it and possibly even paying for it. Yeah, I'm going to say this is a three-star movie for you. Um, Okay. Because I think, like, you are, you have slightly less patience for, like, I think you you watch it with the kids, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, You have slightly less patience for, like, kind of the quippy banter of this kind of stuff than I do. Yeah, Um, I do. do. But I think, like, it's still charming enough that you won't, like, hate it. It's not going to drive you crazy. 
Um, but it also is fantasy, which, like me, you don't particularly like. Um, so I gave it a 3.5. I, I'm going to say you're a 3 on this, and we'll see where we land. But um, Oof, it's... I love this. It's, I, love, yeah. I love that we're now predicting, predicting one another's star rating. Right. Um, Very nice. it, But it's a lot of fun. Um, it's just... It's a good romp. Uh, the, like, villains in this are terrifying, which I love. Um, just deeply scary looking. Um, and... So when it gets to sort of the climax of this movie and like they're really unleashing, it is disturbing. And I really liked that. I have friends, right? Good friends mm-hmm. who play D&D. Oh, yeah. Kristen Laddie. She plays D&D. There you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. We have friends. We have friends who, who play, play D&D. D&D. Uh, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't I like don't games. So, of course, I don't get it. Um, I, I've, it's one of those things where I always want to like, so Keo does cons like packs and though I'm not being like willfully, <laughs> I'm not doing a bit. No, I no, no. Not, like, I don't know what it is. Yeah. I'm, I don't think either of us just trash a thing like just <laughs> because like, no, I don't not. get this. Not. It's more like no. genuinely like I've wanted to. So Keo does cons like packs where they'll like have live on stage these like D and D games, you know, and people get up there and do campaigns and their podcasts that, you know, do this. And I've always kind of thought I should sit and like watch one. I think there's no way in hell I would enjoy playing it, but I do kind of want to understand what the appeal of it is because it just seems like work to me. It does not sound like fun to yeah, play D and D. Um, am I? Am I? I think. I think you. Knowing what you know about it, you you've probably got a firmer grasp on it than I have. It feels like maths-driven improvisational theater. That feels about right. Yeah, and that's the Is that it? like yeah. And I think I maths, don't maths-driven riffing on characters. Yeah, and and I don't totally understand. You know, like obviously there's dice and all this kind of stuff, and I don't totally understand how chance. you. You obviously have control over what happens, though, to a degree, too. So there's rolling and all this kind of stuff, but there's, like, you know, degrees of, like, your DM is creating stuff and, like, putting things uh, in your that, path. Yeah, that's... And you can team up together. What's that, then? Yeah, so I don't know. I, I should... I was, and it's the conversation we're time Yeah, for but I would love to actually, like, watch it and, like, learn more about it because, like, yeah, like, Kristen loves it. Uh, she has a great time mm. playing this, and I know many people who deeply enjoy it. I know I wouldn't enjoy it because I don't even like playing like Scrabble, <laughs> let alone playing something so like you, this. So you don't like any sit-down player game type games at all? Not unless it's like trivia, um, mm. or something that's really involved, like Cranium, you know, mm. uh, something like that. But like no strategy. I don't want to strategize ever. Um yeah, anything uh, like that. The I mean, the chances of me following up on this are <laughs> just so slim, so oh, what? infinitesimally slim. But uh, right now, as I'm sat here talking to you, I I would quite like the idea of exploring this a little more. Exploring what? Because the the concept of D and D and maybe yeah, yeah, getting yeah. maybe even trying it because, oh, sure. like I always say, millions of people over fucking 50 odd years or whatever how long it's been out can't all be wrong i mean it's if vin diesel brilliant. likes it there's got to be something to yes. it yes yes is it is it is is that what henry cavill plays probably Does i think he, he likes it? all the nerd things so 
I'm a yeah. guess he probably likes Fuck, the D and D. You know, one of my bestest, bestest mates, Mark Llewellyn, is is big into his D and D, and and you know, I like hearing you do the word, little L thing. His word. Yeah, I don't hear it a lot, and so it's kind of fun when you just sort of it's in oh, your sentence. But no, that guy's word carries a, a lot of yeah weight, yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of credibility. So if he's into it, it's got to be. It's going to be good shit. I would love that. I will follow through for you on getting you into a D&D game. All right. Maybe we'll get Kristen the bit, the... to d- set it up and DM and do See, a virtual D&D. Maybe, would I... The, the the bit that I think would be the barrier for me is the counting. If there's counting... Well, everyone has seen we, how well... We know. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. If there's one um, thing this podcast isn't known for, it's being able to count... Being able to just rudimentary basic arithmetic. plus and minus, yeah, single figures, yeah, total lost cause. So that might that might form a barrier. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm sure people could. But help. I, I I want to enjoy what the other people enjoy. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to see what they enjoy. I mean, that's you know, that's a, a deep characteristic of me is when other oh. people like things, I would like to like that thing too. Yes. I yes, am... yes. Let, let me see it through your eyes. Right. Let, me, let me feel yeah, how you feel. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, as we've like how I always take your movie wrecks and things like that. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, over the years I've realized is sometimes to my detriment. But I deeply want to like what other people like. So, yeah, let's let's set this up. Let's let's have if you want to help Mark understand D&D, let's yeah. talk about it. Let's let's get this going. And what better way? What better way to understand than to do? Exactly. Right. Yeah. So hit us up if you want to help us with this quest. Mm. <laughs> hey, and it would be a quest, wouldn't be it? Quest? Like in like that's what they call it, isn't it? I have that's no idea say. if that's what they call it. Or me, I don't. I don't know. Either. Okay, but it sounds. Or is like it a it campaign? Well, a campaign is definitely what the whole thing's called. If you want to help us in this yeah. campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Hit us up. But the movie's good. Yeah. Yes, the movie was a really good time. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, 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 you have seen. Else? Right, so, um, Shazam Fury of the Gods, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. uh, is what you get when you take Shazam and you sift it mm. through a, a series of filters mm-hmm. um, and you shake it through progressively smaller and finer grain filters. And what these filters are there to do is they're there to sift out all of the bits that you liked from Shazam. Yeah. So you're sifting out all of the the kind of the really fun little edge that Shazam mm-hmm. had. Those kind of uh reminiscent of like John Hughes and Richard Donner kind yeah, of movies totally. from early on. That's absolutely the fun what it bits. Was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you shave off and sand down those edges and uh you make it bland and run-of-the-mill and the DC universe in its current form is already it's not what you would call bright and vibrant no, you know what I mean yeah. it's all very gray and gruelly and which is one of the things that made it stand out so much is that it was so yes. different tonally from all of that stuff it was like yes. just like a chance to breathe in the DC yes. universe yes. yes um but you know once again 
like the rest of the DC universe, like the Marvel universe, in fact, mm. it is now a slave to its own continuity. Right. So thank heavens, <laughs> James Gunn is about to torch all of that. Right. Could not fucking come at a better time, James Gunn. I sir. have been deeply amused by just like the Zachary Levi meltdown tour, though, has <laughs> happened as a result of this. Talk to me like, a little bit about just... that because I've missed all this. Uh, apparently, he's a giant weirdo. Listen, obviously, mm. I spent about two hours with the guy a few years ago and he seemed perfectly normal and delightful. Did you? Yeah, he was the host of Geeks Who Drink. Um, and uh, huh. yeah. Seemed like a totally normal guy. Apparently, he's like kind of a giant weirdo. Uh, for one, he's weirdo been like how, he's been like basically fake Jewish by omission. He's not Jewish. He's a Christian, uh, but just has been getting roles <laughs> on the assumption from his name that he's Jewish. Jewish. Yeah, um, just super weird to me. Uh, and then so not so not not a Jew not not at all not Jewish partially a Jew not not even slightly, Jewish no not Jew esque anything of the sort uh his like that's probably the funniest thing I'll say on this week's episode <laughs> I think his real last name is like Pew like he's deeply <laughs> not <Right>. Jewish um <laughs> and like nobody knew that until recently so he was like in Chuck as a Jew and he was in the Marvel's Miss Maisel as a Jew and all this stuff and he's like an evangelical Christian he's like weirdly like anti-vax uh on top of that and so like he was posting like weird anti-vax opinions which like James Gunn was like I don't agree with them but you know, what am I, I, I can't agree with everybody all the time or whatever, like, yeah, yeah. kind of, like, which is probably the best movie, just kind of swept it under, and nobody cares enough about Zachary Levi to follow up on that stuff. Why is this all come out now, then? What is he, is he? He's just, I mean, I think it was in the midst of the promotional tour, he's, like, saying mm. shit, that, and go, he does, like, Instagram Live a lot, and just okay. sort of word vomits. He's always been a little... Like, I follow him on Instagram, I have for years, and he's, like, always been a little, like, over-sherry. Um, and I think with the timing of this, it didn't help. And then, as, like, negative reviews and stuff have come in about Shazam, he's, like, made these, done these, like, Instagram lives where he, like, tries to defend it and where he talks about, like, the, you know, it was supposed to be like this and, like, how The Rock ruined it and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just stuff that, like, you don't say you just hmm. you let it roll off you know it didn't work you made your millions it's off of this movie for the sake of your own career right like because that's the thing is it's longevity. like it's gonna make no difference to this that's why james gunn isn't like stopping him or whatever like it's not gonna make a difference to dc that he's saying this shit but it's gonna be harder for him to get hired he's we're gonna be seeing him in like the same kind of shit that like kevin sorbo is in in a few years you sure. know like self-produced movies with right Gina exactly <laughs> like that's where he's going to be headed if he can't shut his stupid mouth about this ah, stuff man fucking hell yeah um the the most interesting thing to me about shazam 2 happened to me personally while watching mm. shazam 2 uh, I became aware of, I became very, very, very self-conscious about realizing and 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 almost coming to terms with how the way that I award stars to a movie has evolved over oh, time, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it also happened again with a movie that I watched last night called Resurrection, which I will gush about shortly. <laughs> but I find more and more 
that as a film goes on, I'm adding and subtracting half stars as the movie is fucking playing. Yeah. Um, take Shazam 2, Fury of the Gods, for example, right? I don't know if you spotted this when you saw it, but... I didn't see it. Li- I don't watch this. Oh, you one, haven't no. seen it? Fine, fine, fine. So to anyone who's seen Shazam, Fury of the Gods, they make literally the same fucking joke, oh, no. right? Uh-huh. Dressed up in different clothes three oh, times no. in the first 15 minutes of this film, right? Yeah. It's where a character will say something and then a smash cut will show the exact opposite of what that character was saying. Kind of the arrested development thing, the, you know. Exactly. I don't care for... for, Um, Helen Mirren, for example, in the opening scene of the film goes, Earth's champions must be the greatest and best example of humans who were there have ever been. Smash cut to Zachary Levi going, I'm an idiot. Mm. Right? Sure. That joke. They then do it again 10 minutes later. Right, team, let's stop this bridge from collapsing. Cut to a news report, bridge collapses. Right, It's the yep. same fucking, it's the same joke. And they even, they do it again, like minutes later. The same fucking gag, Ouch. right? Oh, awful. And then in my head, I'm like, right, half a star off for that. <laughs> um, but then later on in the film, oh, some really good monsters. I'll chuck a half a star back on mm-hmm. for that. So I'm, in t- I'm internally auditing the film on the fly, as I'm watching the film, adding and removing stars by the half, only ever in half star increments. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, do you... As the movie goes on. I know I do this with some things. Do you do this with every movie? Because, like, there's certain types of movies that I think I do that with. Or, like, I have to be, like, experiencing it in a certain way. It's usually movies that I'm, like, not sure about that I do this with. And yeah, I'll even think yeah. to myself, like... If this ends well, it's going yeah. to get this amount, but it's I'm going to yeah. not put that star on if... Yeah. I think within the first third of a, of a movie, I've pretty much decided what the range is. Okay. Like, it's not going to go below two stars, and it certainly isn't going to go above three, mm-hmm. but there's halves in between that, that, that there's to play for, you know? There's a little bit of room to play for, uh, and, I, and I add or subtract while the movie is in progress. Now... Is that a healthy way to enjoy a movie? Right. Like, because that's, it feels like the, you know, people make fun of people on Letterboxd all the time. And it's like just Letterboxd brain where like now movies are not even about watching the movie. It's like, what am I going to Letterboxd about this later on? Exactly. Because I know as soon as, before the fucking credits have finished... I will have logged and rated yeah. that film on Letterboxd. Yeah, you sometimes do it when there's still like 10 minutes of a movie left and it always yes, bothers me. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. You don't like that, no? No, no, that drives me a little bit crazy when you do that. <laughs> That's a throwback to my old system <laughs> of uh, just writing them in notepad. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had that fucking doc, man. I had that notepad for like eight <laughs> years before Letterboxd came up. Even longer. I started rating movies on January the 1st, 2010. Yeah, that's 13 years now. And I didn't, I didn't get Letterboxd until like the year before last. I was carrying that fucking <laughs> dock around through various phones, mm-hmm. right? When I spent those six weeks in South Africa, I carried, I wrote them down. <laughs> I wrote them in a fucking notebook because I didn't have any fucking, you know, devices that were online. I used to do that with books. Uh, before Goodreads and all that stuff ah, was a thing. I used go, to write go, down every so, single book I read. OG, mate. Yeah, OGs. absolutely. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I think like sometimes when I find myself doing that, I'm like, 
shut up. Like, I need to shut up yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah, internal yeah, yeah. thing that's thinking about yeah. what is reading. But I also think that, like, generally, when I'm, like, invested in something, I'm not doing that as much. Where it might, like, jump into my head at some point, like, here and there. Yeah. It's not, like, the constant, like, back and yeah. forth in my head of the the star rating. The thought of not logging and rating a film now is is appalling to me. I hate when I realize somehow I like if I went to bed like it was really late and I didn't log something and then when someone else logs it months later I'm like why have I not logged that movie and yeah, now I yeah, don't know yeah, when yeah. I watched it and oh it drives me crazy. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's got to go in there. Yeah. Huh. Again, I'm sure it's a conversation others are having and it, and it it's just one for me to think of is is it uh, is it is it is it a lesser way of consuming and enjoying film. right like if you're always thinking or if i at least i can't speak for anyone else but if i have always got like a small like a like a like a third of my brain yeah on the flight adjusting my fucking online opinion of a film before it's even finished i don't know. right because it's kind of like it makes the purpose of a movie determining yeah. how good it is instead of yes really yes. investing in the storyline yes. where you're um, just and, and constantly what in to letting a, a film mode. bed in. Yeah, what happened to uh, ruminating for a right. little bit and thinking again, and maybe even revisiting it and talking about it. Right. What happened to that? Nope. Bang! Before it's even fucking finished, I'm putting my fucking thoughts out there. Yeah. Through means of a fucking very, you know, and un- and un- there's there's not much room for nuance in that star rating. Right. I don't know. Hey, readers, what do you think? Yeah. Give us your thoughts. If you're reading a transcript of this, tell me what you think. <laughs> uh, so you watched Resurrection last night. Wait, let me just oh, sorry. talk about Army of Darkness oh, yeah, first. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, that's right. You had a little mini watch it, along. How is it possible? How is it possible? How is it possible for Army of Darkness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a movie that takes place in the past when? Uh, but it's you know, the past. Where? It's a bit vague. Who knows? <laughs> who are these historical figures? Don't know. Who cares? Doesn't matter. Da, 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 da. Details. Um, a slapstick. Almost gore free. Uh, and the gore is comedy gore. Right. Full of Harryhausen homages and anachronistic language. One of my favorites in particular is the skeleton who goes, let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> really good. <laughs> Right? Ridiculous. Mm-hmm. A ridiculous comedy of a fucking movie. Yeah. How is it possible that somehow that film feels tonally absolutely fucking in line mm. with the hard gore, dark as fuck, edgy, nasty piece of work that is Evil Dead 2013? How is it that those two films absolutely feel as though they belong in the same franchise how i can't work it out and yet they do yeah the evil dead fucking vibe is so difficult to put your finger it on. it is yeah it's so tough to put your finger <laughs> on it's so fucking it just what is it how can you sum it up and how can all of these tonally fucking dissonant films somehow have this fucking sense that they all belong together yeah, it's very. I don't know. <sighs> oh, sorry. It's very unique in that that you really don't get 
other mm. series that are like that, you know, are <laughs> so, yeah, just so incredibly different in tone, and yet they're not somehow. And nope, yeah. and yet somehow they're all quintessentially Evil Dead. How, 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 I don't know. Yeah, I can't explain it for you, but it's absolutely true. Yeah, uh, so... Resurrection. Apparently, this was something you, that you've that we've spoken about before. <laughs> it was, and it was great because you. Are you sure? Because I feel as though I would remember that. <laughs> you texted me, and you were like, "I'm watching a movie I'm really enjoying, but that I think you would dislike." I was like, "Oh, what movie?" And you sent me like the screenshot of the letterbox or wherever it was from, um, and I was like, "Mark, I have watched this." And I liked it, and I told you about it months ago. <laughs> you sure about that? You sure I think about you'll that find if you check the tapes. <laughs> uh, I did, in <laughs> fact, tell you about this film a few months ago. What were your thoughts? Did you love it as much as I did? I mean, I didn't four and a half stars love it, but yeah. I very much enjoyed it. I really liked yeah. your reasoning for why I normally wouldn't like a movie like this very sound <laughs> very stressed yeah, out white woman problems kind of it's situation. a stressed out fucking white woman at the fucking front and center of the film right. a la fucking black swan or any other right you know un- unreliable narrator mm-hmm. psychosis but i see i like that part. i like an unreliable narrator and a psychosis and things like that and i think the ambiguity of this of never quite knowing uh if we could trust any part of her experience of life was uh i really liked that throughout this movie and of course tim roth's in it is very creepy and um fucking hell he's good yeah he's super good do you want to explain the movie though again for those who don't remember from the last time that so uh, um i talked about it resurrection is a very tight and narrow character piece um which explores the impact, or does it, mm-hmm. of uh, abuse, an abusive relationship, and uh, a, 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 a lost child, a child who's who's died, um, uh, in a woman who is exceptionally, you know, as we are, as we see her, exceptionally driven, and everything that you would expect a strong, fucking, capable, independent woman to be. Uh, she has a job that's obviously she works in pharmaceuticals or something. She's obviously in some very very you know position of authority and power. Uh, her house is fucking clean. She runs like a fucking mad lad. <laughs> she you know is is she has sex whenever she feels like it with partners whenever she feels like it. She is to all intents and purposes on paper what you would expect a stereotypically powerful and successful and driven and independent woman to be. Right. But uh, uh, under the surface of that, you've got this relationship with Tim Roth from 18, 20 years in her past, uh, which has had devastating effects on her. And just under the surface of this veneer of respectability and success and achievement and power is a deeply, deeply fucked up and unpredictable and unstable and ready to blow kind of uh, you know, side to this woman, which we see coming out. Oh, and this film is so good. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, it's it's so good. I, I, I don't even know where to begin, right? 
it rewards hard work on the part of a viewer. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I said earlier on that I kind of established early on what the the, the range, kind of the yeah. range of the star rating is going to be, <laughs> that I knew I knew in the first kind of half an hour, forty minutes that we, we there was a four here. Mm-hmm. It rewards the viewer paying attention. It doesn't spell anything out for you. Yeah. Um, you are rewarded for really fucking looking at the film. We get clues. Uh, about the the protagonist we get clues about her past we get clues about who she is who she was who she isn't all there in the film all there on screen all there in the frame and i fucking love that right i love that yeah um the it's beautifully scripted beautifully performed more on that in a bit tim roth right even though he's abomination and even though he's fucking mr orange you know what Mm -hmm. i mean uh, he's none of those things in this film, right. and you fucking you forget he's Tim Roth, right. mate. Within 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 minutes of him appearing on screen, you forget that he's Tim Roth. He's just one horrible fucking creepy nasty son of a bitch. Yeah. Uh but here's the thing, right? So Rebecca Hall is front and center in this film and she's on screen pretty much the entire time, mm-hmm. right? She's on screen pretty much the entire running time of this film. And I don't know if you remember this as as clearly as I'm, as 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 it landed with me, but there's maybe it's got to be like a 6 or 7 minute monologue from her. Yeah. About about halfway through this film where she kind of where you kind of the film plays its hand a little bit and she fills you in on the details of, of this relationship and the details of the, her past and the abuse that she suffered from her point of view, right? Mm-hmm. And the shot is utterly static as she talks and talks and the, Rebecca Hall vanishes and uh, into this character and genuinely, you know, she she cries, you see tears fall from her eyes as she becomes more and more emotively, you know, as she gets more and more involved in how deep and how dark the story is. Uh, and there's nothing to distract from her performance at all, right? You might, for example, expect the shot maybe to have a really slow zoom, perhaps. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. in the she talks, as she talks, but there is nothing... There is no artifice at all to the direction of the scene. It is a static, perfectly still, unflinching camera angle while she is in this, in this fucking frame delivering this monologue. In fact, it isn't even a monologue. It's more of a soliloquy because even though there's another character in the scene, she isn't talking to that character. Right. She's just giving voice to fucking thought and memory and emotion, right? She's soliloquizing. And it is fucking so good. Uh, this six or seven fucking minutes of this performance. Her performance of this entire film is amazing, right? Yeah. But that six or seven minutes in particular is fucking world class. World fucking class stuff mm. from Rebecca Hall in this movie, right? Um, and that's where that extra... Fuck, there it is. That's where that half <laughs> yep, a star there it is. Out. I was thinking, oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're getting a half a star for this, mate. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> and, right, and I did. I texted you this right after. And, right, I was watching that performance from her. I was watching that work from her. And I was thinking, something's going on here. Mm-hmm. Something's fucking, something's up here. 
nobody's this good out of nowhere, <laughs> right? Yeah. You, nobody's just this fucking good just because they're that good. Something's fucking going on here. So I has me a little bit of a Google, right? And I look at Rebecca Hall and I read her Wikipedia page and I read her IMDb. And her dad is none other than fucking Sir Peter Hall, right? Sir fucking Peter Hall. Uh, I'm certain that name is landing for the Brits who might be listening. Sir Peter Hall, if that name isn't landing for those in the American or elsewhere. I know we're quite big in Patagonia. Oh, okay. Yeah, we are. I've looked at the figures. Yep. Uh, Sir it's Peter all those Hall Welsh is... folks down there in Patagonia. There you go. That's what it's, it's the Welsh connection. Mm-hmm. Um, Sir Peter Hall is... Uh, I'm not even going to say arguably, there's no arguably about it. The most important dramatist in Britain of of the last fucking hundred years, I would say easily, right? Uh, A guy who has had, like nobody else, I I would say, in, in modern Britain, the biggest contribution and impact relentlessly to British theatre, theatre, film, literature, opera. He has worked with everyone, everyone, right? Everyone who's worth mentioning has worked with and for Sir Peter Hall, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, From the 1950s all the way through to like a few years before his death, right? He died, I think it was, I want to say 2017, all the way up to the 2010s he was working, a, a ridiculously prolific director of stage, founded the fucking Royal Shakespeare Company, um, uh, uh, head of the National Theatre, film, opera, television. He wrote books, and he's Rebecca Hall's fucking dad, well, there you right? Go. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, and all of that heritage, all of that. Fucking, it was all there in that six motherfucking brilliant minutes. I loved this film. It was terrific. Uh, Unashamedly a horror film. Mm -hmm. But a horror film, fucking hell, man. The the last kind of, the last five, ten minutes of the film are strong ass horror. It was one of those... One of those scenes, one of those final scenes that had me like clutching the top of my head, <laughs> wide-eyed, open-mouthed. Um, this film was fucking brilliant. Absolutely fucking brilliant. And I, I watch it on a whim. <laughs> That's wild. Wild. Yeah, wild is what it so is. So I think it's what safe to say, movie. Joag recommends Resurrection. Joag unreservedly recommends Resurrection. <laughs> and fucking hell. You know, a cast of... Like four recurring characters, five recurring characters. Yeah, I guess no so. Elaborate, yeah. No elaborate effects, no elaborate yeah. sets. Set in, you know, uh, just streets and office blocks and hotels. Rebecca Hall um, is a master of a small movie. It's very true. Yeah. It's very true. Um, and she is fucking on my cool list. Yes. Agreed. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Patron saint of Joag, Rebecca Hall. Yes, uh, when we cast Joag the movie, maybe she could play me. Definitely. I have no doubt she could do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same here. <laughs> same here. Uh, 
All right. So what else? That's that's all I've watched, and it's been a good it's been a good a good week of watches. I'm very happy to hear that. And you know what? There's so much more to come. Oh. Uh, because of being away for a week, I've got a fuckload to catch up on. I've got oh, Succession yeah. to watch. Word. Yep. Um, me and the boys are going to see Super Mario in the morning, which Beautiful. I can't fucking. My God, I'm so fucking excited to see Aww. this movie, right? Even though I know I know what it's going to be, <laughs> right? It's an Illumination film, sure. for fuck's sake. I know what it's going to be. I know what it's going to be. But I, 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 I simply can't wait Said. to sit in the local view and have the lights going down and have my fucking boys around me and to be eating popcorn and watching a movie uh, about Super Mario who, you know, whether I don't give a fuck who you are, <laughs> Super Mario is your childhood. He is, he it's is, true. he is a massive part of your childhood yeah. if you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> like me. Fair enough. Yeah. That's delightful. You're going tomorrow to that? Uh, yep. Tomorrow morning, 10.35. I feel like I've banged on a little bit here. Sorry. Okay, I mean it's I like a, I've been talking. it's a podcast. It is, isn't it? Yeah, That's it's kind of the idea in this medium. Just a lot of banging on. Yep. <laughs> well, one of the things that I did this week, Mark, uh, as I said, mm. was I hung out with Sam, and yeah. just by sheer coincidence, like a week and a half or two weeks ago, I had said to you, um, I want to do an episode about people who have sacrificed themselves for others. And I think it came from something that we had watched or something like that that brought this to mind. Something made me think of this. Um, And, uh, you know, I just find the concept of self-sacrifice fascinating, often very tragic. You know, whatever reasons that people sacrifice themselves, it's usually something really sad that's happened. Um, Mm. And so... Sam texted me. He was like, I'm thinking of things that we could go do. And I was like, well, I'm mostly, you know, I don't have like a lot of patience for going into museums or things like that. Sam knows I'm not into mm. like art and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was yeah. like, well, I found like a very Joe Aggie spot. It is a memorial to heroic self-sacrifice in Postman's Park in London. And I was right. like, okay, that does sound right up my alley. And so we did that. We went to this little park, just a tiny little park. um, And there is a wall that is dedicated to people who died sacrificing themselves for others. And not in the way that, like, you know, we hear about this kind of stuff all the time, usually in the context of, like, war. and No. Militarily? No. No. So not that kind of thing. This is ordinary people who, for whatever reason have died in the process of saving someone else. Um, Okay. I love that. And yeah, it's such a cool concept. I love that 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 monument exists. That's fantastic. Yeah, it is really neat to see. So it's like, it really, it isn't those kinds of stories that you always hear about, you know, oh, some soldier did this or, you know, whatever, but like normal people. Just in, in, in in the, you know, the routine of their daily lives. Right. Oh, that's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And it, it, a lot of these things. Give an example. Give an example, just so I can. Get well, I'm my curious head as to what, what you would guess would be, because basically there were like three main types of things that kept coming up over and over, and there were some deviations from this, but there were kind of three things that usually caused people to die in the process of saving other people. So I guess to answer that, I have to ask, what would I die for? Sure. Yeah. What would you? die for and i and i want to know yeah i mean what is there is there anything 
so fundamentally important to your life so you know the core of you so important so beloved and so important to you that you would altruistically end your own life for right um which by the way i think fascinatingly the one of the terms that's used for this is altruistic suicide um and thinking about it in that context is kind of interesting in and of itself you don't consider sacrifice suicide um, but at the same time Mm. that is what you're doing and understanding that i am forsaking my own life for someone else you know you are willingly ending your own life for these kinds of things and in fact as just as a quick little aside when i think when i think of examples in fiction Mm -hmm. of altruistic suicide there is just one example that comes immediately to mind Ooh, and i that? wonder and it's it's in a movie and i wonder if you can guess which one is coming to my mind in a movie altruistic yeah. suicide i don't know what yeah. uh it's the end of star trek 2 oh yeah it's Spock going all fucking green mm-hmm. and gammy because he's oh that in gets the me every time or whatever yeah and the, the fucking the vulcan thing on the mm-hmm. window Absolutely. Oh, I love that shit. Right. Um, or um, another one I think of is the movie U571, where um, Rabbit goes and he's Rabbit and Trigger, the only two that are small enough to possibly go and squeeze into this little space to go and try to like mm-hmm. uh, turn a, um, a valve. Uh, yeah. And he goes in there and the um, the hose isn't long enough. And uh, he realizes, like, you know, that's where he's getting his air from. And he's going to have to toss the air behind him and go and turn that valve. And he drowns to save the rest of uh, the crew. Or a similar thing happens in the Poseidon Adventure. <laughs> where uh, Two films I have not seen. I've not seen Poseidon Adventure. I've not seen U571. You know I, I love really a like boat. submarine films. Yeah. Yeah. You know how I feel about boats. Um, and, and so interestingly, to give this away... Um, drowning is one of the most common of the things on that, which I've experienced personally. So not drowning per se, but (laughs) so you ask like, what would you Mm. sacrifice for? Right. And it's a thing that Mm. I've thought about before. Like, are there things, are there beliefs worth dying for things like that? And I've always kind of struggled with that question in part because I think of like a lot of the sort of cosplay bravery people put on. People really want to like, be like militaristic and stuff like that. Imagine themselves in a war, in a battle, that kind of thing. Martyrs. You know, yeah, martyrs. Um, and especially coming from an evangelical Christian background, like yeah, that's yeah, like, yeah. you know, big time goals, martyrdom. And so, like, I've always kind of associated it with that kind of mentality, and that's always made it hard for me to think about, like, are there things worth dying for? But, like, amongst the t- a couple of times in my life, I have nearly. <laughs> Uh, died trying to save someone else, um, including one of the like memorable times that I can think of was um, I was at Lake Pisgah with my family and my niece Luna was probably like 11, eh, maybe younger than that. She was probably like eight or so at the time, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we kind of, she was in an inner tube and I was kind of, holding on to the inner tube as we were going out but the water is very deep immediately you can't touch um in it uh you know probably like as soon as you get in the water it's probably like five feet six inches and i'm five foot four right so (laughs) you're a good swimmer aren't you yeah i'm a strong swimmer 
Um, and she was in this inner tube and she slipped out and she couldn't get back in and she couldn't really swim and she's panicking and all that. And so what I did was held her up over my head and I'm standing on the bottom with this child over my head and she's not, she's so panicked. She's not doing anything to get back into the, into the inner tube. And I can't do anything like a, no matter how strong a swimmer I am, there's nothing I can do from this position to like get her back into that tube. She's going to need to do it or someone else going to notice or I am simply going to drown standing here holding her above my head. But I was like, guess that's what happens. Like there was no part of me that was like, drop her. You know, I was like, God, I hope she gets back into this thing, but I will drown if she doesn't. Oh, that's. That's just how this is going to go. And eventually, I think my brother noticed and kind of pushed her back into the uh, tube. And I like came up and was like, oh, Jesus Christ, you know. Um, but that, I think, you know, that's what so many of the things that are on that wall are, including kids who yep, have done yep, this, yep. tried to save their siblings from drowning. And, you know, mm-hmm. they ended up drowning themselves and stuff like that. Part of the self-sacrifice thing to me is often about impulse and instinct. And what do you do when you see something happen like that? Is your instinct to run away? Uh, You know, is it to freeze in place? Mm. Is it to, you know, protect yourself, right? Like I don't want to drown. So I, you know, let my niece uh, fall back into the water and potentially come to harm herself or something like that. Like how much does self-preservation override, yeah. you know, yeah. that kind of instinct? I I can't, I can't imagine how I could live if the situation arose where I could only live at the expense of one of my children not. Right. If it was me or them. Right. How the fuck, if it was me or them, how the fuck could I continue living? Right. The, it, it's, 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 it just, it, it doesn't compute. It yeah. doesn't even, it isn't even, I don't know. Yeah. And I think like with stuff like that, like, you know, if you take it outside, like obviously with your kids, just like when we are talking about like, oh, do you, you know, murder innocent children or watch your loved ones get killed in front of you. (laughs) Like when it's your kids, like obviously you know what your choice is going to be. But, you know, a lot of these things too on these were not relatives of people. It was that they saw someone drowning and they ran in and, you know, went to save them. Um, And they're strangers, you know, things like that. And I think, in thinking about self-sacrifice, that to me is more relatable, I guess, than thinking about like dying for a cause. Yeah. Because um, it's it's hard for me to imagine a situation in which that would be the case and what yeah. to what end, you know. But I can imagine dying for because that's the only way someone else is going to survive. Though yeah, that that's absolutely the only circumstance. I mean, I what with ubiquitous connectivity, what with the good old internet, mm-hmm. I don't think you have to be you have to be as extreme as dying for a cause to make an impact on a cause. Right. 
You know what I mean? Your your suffragettes, your chartists, you know, your 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 kind of racial equality campaigners. Sometimes I I hey look I I got no evidence to back this up, but it feels to me as though there would have been circumstances whereby the only way to fucking raise awareness right would would be martyrdom would be an act of of self immolation right and, yeah yeah you know what i mean would be a massive fucking destructive gesture for a cause whereby i think it's 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 more realistic to rally now a wider audience a wider group of like-minded people mm-hmm. without having kind of die as a result right yeah yeah i think that's how it, I don't know, it feels that way yeah it? yeah and i think that's largely true i think that isn't to say that like in a situation if for whatever reason we were in some sort of very violent time and mm. it came to it that it was like you know it's dangerous to um you know, hold a belief publicly or things like that. That's not to say that I would be like, then I guess I will shut up and not have that belief or, you know, I won't so help is people Is there any something. cause for which you would die? I don't think outright, you know, and I think that's healthy to me. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people get so wrapped up in that concept of mm. like, I would die for this, that there's yeah. a degree to which you miss kind of what you're talking about, like what impact you have simply by with your voice, yes. you know, and it, it becomes yes. an obsession with martyrdom. And it's and a self-importance, you know, like, I guess that's my thought process is like, what does it do for me to die? I have to believe that I am deeply important. Yes. For yes. my death to and that mean you're, and, and that and that that gesture, that massive fatalistic gesture, would have an impact. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so I think the way that I look at it is like there are probably some things that I would die for, right? Like if the situation called for it. Like you know, I think if you know we were at with like say the trans shit that's going down and all this stuff that's like going on as trans if things started becoming violent like openly violent right in society where there were lynchings of trans people or things like that and it was becoming mm. like jim crow or something of that nature and i don't want to act like that shit isn't happening there's plenty of violence happening against trans people and stuff like that oh, but yeah, organized yeah, yeah. government like turning a blind eye people are lynch mobs all that kind of stuff I would say I would put my body on the line to stop that, right? Um, but I, I think it's one of those like you cross that bridge when you, when you come to it, right? As opposed to yeah. making like, yes. I would die for a you cause. You can't plan my, to die for. Yeah, that, like yeah. I would die for a cause can't be my my battle cry, right? Yeah. Uh, I would live for causes. I don't think I would die for cause is a is a healthy mentality. Personally. Yeah, if if there's an option to not, right. <laughs> uh, then you'd you'd take that, wouldn't you? And, and right, yeah. Nobody would, I'm sure, argue against. Yeah, that. I want us all to live for causes. The idea is for none of yeah, us yeah, to yeah. have to die for them, you know. Yeah. Um, but I did find, if you're curious, a couple of interesting stories outside of these. I'm very curious. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. love to. So, ah, you said there were three. Oh yes, I didn't get through common the common factors that showed up on the wall. Yeah, so do you have any guesses? Drowning, so drowning family. was one of them. 
Do you have any guesses uh, on the other burning, two? Burning. Burning. I would say mm-hmm. fires and being shot. Not being shot. This is British. Um, oh, of course. So, and it's only been up there since the late 1800s. Um, Getting uh, super aggressively chanted at. <laughs> yeah, aggressive chanting. You just get like humiliated to death. No, the the third thing is like work accidents. So people in mines, people being poisoned by gases, oh, yeah, things yeah, like yeah, that, that makes saving their colleagues. Yeah. Yes. So those were oh nice. Those were the things that you saw a lot on there. Listen, I. I don't know if I would die to save my work colleague. <laughs> but here's a, <coughs> let's think on that for one second though, because that's a, I think that's like a valid question. Um, would you die to save innocent strangers? Well, and also not even, let's not even think about that as like philosophically as that. Yeah. What do you think your impulse is? Your brain before you have a chance to think, right? So say you're in America and you are in a business meeting and someone comes in with a gun or something like that, right? What yep. is your impulse? Is it to, and we can't know until you're in that situation, but is it to jump in front of the colleague next to you? Let's say your colleague's pregnant, right? Do you jump in front of pregnant colleague or do you immediately, you know, drop under a desk Goodbye. or... Good fucking buy. No, you're I am out. out of there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no. Gone. Yeah. I'm out of there. I'm sorry. I am fucking running the fuck away from the guy with the gun. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. And, and that's like, I mean, that's what I'm asking is instinct, right? I don't think that that's like a a moral thing. No, it isn't. It isn't. Know? Absolutely not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not in, in, in doing that. I'm not saying fuck this woman and her unborn <laughs> I'm child. more important than her. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely not. Um... But I guess what is driving that is that I have people who depend on me. I have dependents. Sure. I have kids whose dad isn't going to come home. Sure. Yeah. And fuck that. Sorry. What? To, if I even if I jump in front of the fucking bullet, he's gonna, just going to shoot her next. <laughs> what is sure. that going to achieve? Fuck all. Mm-hmm. Unless I had a gun. Oh no! Now you're really starting now to then. sound like an American. Now, now I'm thinking. <laughs> now I'm thinking like an American. Uh, no, I would be the fucking, I would be gone. I would right. be gas. Yeah. I think that's kind of the, I think that I am more likely to probably, even though I don't want to, I'd love to preserve my own life. I think my instinct is probably to get in front of somebody else instead. Mm. I think that's just kind of like the the lizard brain that kicks in in me is not self-preservation. <laughs> it is like, yeah, oh see, no. Like, this person's in danger, and my body just goes. Uh, self. I don't like the way self-preservation sounds, though. I don't think it is self-preservation. It's... Oh, man. It's self-preservation, but not for its own sake. Not because I, well, I want to live, not you. I'm going to live. I'm, well, I'm but the one What I'm talking about is here. instinct, because that's what we're talking about here. Is like, I think in these... That's why I think that it's... It's interesting the like kind of moral value people assign to self-sacrifice because I honestly think for the most part people don't have time to think through this mm. and then you're running on adrenaline and all this kind of stuff when it happens. Yeah, of I course, think of course. When I say self-preservation, I mean in terms of like literally instinct. Like yes. Your survival is the first thing that your brain goes to, so you hide yeah. or you run or things like that. Or yeah. does your brain just immediately go like, there's danger, shield, 
instead. And I don't think either of those are moral, like things that are like a moral thing. I think that's simply instinct. Give me some, give me some examples. Like I said, if you look at like self-sacrifice, um, there are tons of instances of this uh, on an individual level. Obviously, like I said, in those dangerous situations, drownings, fires, work things, stuff like that. Um, lots of military self-sacrifice, stuff like that. But a couple that I thought were kind of interesting were sort of people saving masses of folks and not just simply yeah, one. Yeah, uh, no, that, that changes things, I guess. Sure. Um, it does. That does change things. Right. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's trolley problem kind of situation, right? <laughs> like yeah. It's Spock, isn't it? The needs of the yeah, many. Yeah, right. The needs of the many. Um, so one case of that. Spock, man. Spock. But it's all right because they searched for him. They did search for Spock. It's true. Um, one case of this was a, a 22-year-old woman named Nirja Banot. Um, she had been a model. Uh, her face was in print ads. She was all over the place. Um, and she got married. And after she, you know, went through kind of a terrible divorce, she decided to yeah. become a flight attendant. So, like I said, at the age of 22. When are we talking? When was this? Uh, 1986. So, at the age of 22, she is a senior flight purser for Pan Am, essentially. At the time, of course, you'd call these people stewardesses, but a flight attendant. Of course. (laughs) Um, Yeah, 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 yeah. And on September 5th, 1986, she was aboard Flight 73 from Bombay to the U.S., along with 378 other passengers and crew. Along the way, the plane had a couple stops, including one in Karachi. And while there, the plane was hijacked by terrorists. So she just sprang into gear (laughs) pretty much immediately trying to figure out a way out of this for the passengers. Uh, And so first she managed to get an emergency code to the pilots that told them there was a hijacking underway, which Mm, allowed the pilots to get out through an escape hatch in the cockpit, which made it so that then the hijackers couldn't force them to fly the plane. If there's no flight crew, there's no one there who can fly it. Yeah, 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 nice. So super quick thinking on her part to get them out of there. Uh, In an attempt to force the airline to send new pilots out, they shot an Indian-American passenger and threw his dead body onto the tarmac. The terrorists then made Nirja collect all of the passengers' passports, and she realized that they were targeting Americans. So she had the crew hide all of the American passports under seats and in the trash chutes so that they wouldn't be able to identify which ones of them were American. She then went on to serve the hijackers and the um, passengers food and beverages and keep sort of a sunny disposition so that people were less freaked out and also that she hoped that this could sort of placate the terrorists um, while things were going on. The standoff lasted for 17 hours And then at that point, the terrorists started opening fire in the cabin and lighting explosives in the plane, at which point she managed to get an exit door open. And instead of letting herself out, she got that slide activated, helped other passengers out. And as she was helping three children down that slide, the terrorists saw her, grabbed her by the hair and shot her in the head point blank. She was then given several posthumous awards. Her face was on a postage stamp. Uh, A movie was made about her in 2016. And one of the children she helped was so inspired by her heroic actions, that child became a pilot when they grew up. 
It's a beautiful fucking story. It is a beautiful story. Yeah. Just one person who completely, I mean, it would it could have gone completely differently without someone yeah. who was just like, I'm going yeah. to risk it every step of this way. Hiding those passports was dangerous. Getting that code to the pilots was dangerous. Opening the doors was dangerous. Level-headed, thought through this, and was like, whatever happens to me, all these I've people done, are going to I've done, I've helped, thank you. I'm fucking gone. Right. Yeah, yeah. At 22 years old. Yeah, like, incredible. Goddamn. It's pretty amazing. And another story that I really like uh, comes from uh, a tiny village in Derbyshire? Dar- Dar- yeah, yeah, Derbyshire? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Beautifully done. Thank you. Uh, called Eam. Yeah. So the years 1665 and 1666 saw the last major epidemics of the plague. And as tended to be the case, it was concentrated mostly in London, obviously. Uh, but the rich fled the city and the government displayed little interest in helping the poor people who were left behind. And when the House of Lords did decide to finally act, what they decided was to quarantine the poors, but exempt persons of note from having to isolate when infected. They also put measures in place to make sure that plague hospitals couldn't be built near their homes. So basically, they could go around infecting whoever they wanted, and they could insist Mm. on never seeing the consequences of that. And as those rich people fled London and moved out into rural areas... Those places that had previously been relatively safe suddenly were being exposed to the plague where they hadn't been before. So in August of 1665, the plague came to Eam in a parcel of cloth that had been sent to the village tailor from London. When the tailor's assistant spread the cloth out to air it by the fire, he realized it was covered with rat fleas. Oh, no. Yeah, and he died just a few days after unfolding that piece of cloth. Fuck, imagine that shit. Right? Just, like, opening it and being like, oh, fuck, there's death. That's it. That's the end of me. Like, the worst, right? Uh, So, naturally, uh, with that having come, the plague began to spread through the village quite rapidly. But rather than spread it further, the village's reverends, William Mompesson and Thomas Stanley decided that it was Eames' duty to contain the plague. So despite knowing that quarantining was more or less a death sentence, they erected the village decided the entire to die. village oh, decided fucking hell. We're just it's what happens happens. They erected signs telling travelers don't come in here. There's plague here. Yeah. Uh, supplies would be brought to the edge of the town. And then the villagers would leave money in water troughs filled with vinegar because they knew that vinegar did help Mm. kill the disease. So they were making sure even in paying for the stuff people were bringing them to survive, they weren't going to spread plague by paying them with infected money. It's an incredible story. And uh, over the course of 14 months, 260 of the 800 villagers died. Many of the families wiped out entirely. Whole families yeah, just yeah. dead. Entire, yeah, bloodlines, futures, legacies, all exactly. gone. Exactly. All simply to protect the rest of England from the plague. Pretty wild, That's huh? incredible. I, that is the first I have ever heard of that tale, and it is wonderful. Isn't it? Mm. I love it. I mean, those people yeah. would mask. 
They would. They <laughs> definitely would. mask. I just think that's that's such an incredible like this is the kind of thing you want to think about people coming together and deciding mm. in the face of hardship, you know, and not just in the face of wars and things like that, but just in the face of a seemingly insurmountable trial. Uh, mm. They come together and decide that we're going to do the right thing, no matter what that does to us. It's incredible. It's fantastic. I mean, uh, I mean, there, there, there's, there is a cause for which I would give my life. Go on. There is, there is, there is one single cause for which I would happily lay down my life and die if it meant uh, the the. The, the, the point would be proven. Go uh, on. The, the Neil Marshall's 2019 oh, Hellboy, me. starring David Harbour <laughs> as Hellboy, is a true. This has been Jack of, of All Graves. This was so wonderful talking film. to all of you great people. <laughs> what would you die for, listeners? Tell us what you die for. What do you think? Is there any cause worth dying for? Uh, have you been in a situation? Where you have nearly died trying to save someone. Are you dead right now because yeah. you saved someone? Yeah. Did you die for a cause? Was it worth it? We definitely and want to hear about that. 100%, yes. Uh, and while you're thinking of all that, while you're thinking of all that, there's one thing you should certainly do, Corey. Could you just remind them what that is? You should definitely do that and stay spooky. <laughs>